You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. good-looking, strapping, strong Saul that didn't make sense. But we know in 1 Samuel 16, when we get to that, that God looks upon the heart. God doesn't look upon the outward appearances. God looks upon the heart. While Saul was a good Jewish boy, and he was concerned with his father's business, and he was persistent in obedience to his father's will, even to the point of modesty, there is one problem that exists in Saul that is right there in front of us as we go through these first verses. There's absolutely no evidence of a spiritual life in Saul. Saul was the kind of king that the people of Israel wanted, handsome and strong. Yet, as Pastor Dave will explain today, Saul had no evidence of a spiritual relationship with God. This wasn't important to the people. Yet, God knew Saul's heart and knew what kind of king he would be. Outward appearance has nothing to do with being a good king. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 9 as he begins his message, I Found a Crown. You are First Samuel 9. So you know that Israel was established as a theocracy. And you know that theocracy means basically uh, God is the boss. God is the head. God is their king, a theocracy. It's a nation ruled by God. God called them out of Egypt with great signs and wonders, and he delivered them from bondage. He had delivered them so that they might in turn then serve him and him only. The first commandment, serve the Lord only. There were to be no other gods placed before him. He would rule over them. He would be their God. They would be his people. He would be to them a father, and they would be to him his children. God had been faithful to the nation Israel. He had never let them down. He was with them when they wandered in the wilderness for 40 some odd years. Their shoes never wore out. Their clothing never wore out. They always had food, whether it be manna or whether it be quail, but they always were fed. There was water when they couldn't find any. God provided for them. God gave them everything that they had needed. He brought them into a land flowing of milk and honey. He fulfilled his promise to Abraham that he would do such a thing. And I love Joshua when he writes in his account in chapter 21, verse 43, it says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Here's the kicker, 45. Not one word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. God is faithful. His word is faithful. We can count on his word. We can trust on his word. God is faithful. And even though they failed to take the whole land as he commanded, he was still with them. He still guided them. He still protected them. He sent them men and women to judge them and to help them and to deliver them from the enemies. We looked at that in the book of Judges. 
He sent men and women to do those things. God established a priesthood so that they could serve him and show how to worship him. He even dwelt among them in a place called the tabernacle. It was his dwelling place. After God had accomplished all that, all that God had done in their midst, everything that you can think of, Israel rejected his leadership. We don't want you to be our ruler anymore. We want a king. All the other nations had kings. So we demand a king. And this was a demand of God. This was a demand of God. We want a king to rule over us, to protect us, to lead our armies, to go into battle for us, to help us in our time of need. We want a king. And as we come into chapter 9, the old adage, be careful what you ask for, you just may get it, comes into play. The focus of 1 Samuel now shifts from Samuel himself to a man named Saul. The focus now in the book shifts. Saul is the man God chose to be Israel's first king. And as we study, we will see that Saul was good-looking among all men. He was tall, the kind of people that, uh, the kind of king that people would admire, the kind of person that people would be drawn to. In fact, Samuel had an adoration for him when he saw him. And this shows itself greatly when Samuel goes to choose the second king that God tells him to go. He can't believe that God is going to use this short little ruddy guy named David, a sheep herder, to be king compared to the good-looking, strapping, strong Saul. It didn't make sense. But we know in 1 Samuel 16, when we get to that, that God looks upon the heart. God doesn't look upon the outward appearances. God looks upon the heart. While Saul was a good Jewish boy, and he was concerned with his father's business, and he was persistent in obedience to his father's will, even to the point of modesty, there is one problem that exists in Saul that is right there in front of us as we go through these first verses. There's absolutely no evidence of a spiritual life in Saul. Saul lived some five miles from Ramah. He lived in a town called Gibeah. It was about five miles from Ramah or Ramah. Who lived in Ramah? Samuel. Samuel lived in Ramah. And we read that in 320, that all Israel knew, is that all Israel knew that he was a prophet and he was a mighty man of God. But Saul didn't. Saul didn't know. Maybe Saul just lived with his father on the farm and minded his own business. Apparently, he didn't attend any of the feasts. And he really wasn't concerned in spiritual manners. He was what you would call a good person. He was a good person. But he didn't have a relationship with God. We all know good people. I'll never forget that Memorial Day weekend in Ocean City when my parents were down and... Princess Diana passed away. And my mother was very upset, as a lot of people were. And she was the fact of almost tears. And she said, but she was such a good person. I went, define good. Well, you know, she was, that's all, you know. We think these good people. And even though she might have done a lot of different things that were good, did she have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Did she know God? What happened when the man called Jesus good. What did he say? Only one good, my father. Only one good father in heaven, God. So Samuel was a good boy. He was a good man. 
But this reminds me of many people today who are not against religion as such, but they choose not to make the Lord a vital part of their life. And I'm sure that you've heard it in your life when you became born again, when you became demonstrative about your faith and you started sharing it. I'm sure people said, well, that is very good for you. That, that works very nicely for you, but that's not me. Oh, that's okay for you. And if you like that, I'm really happy for you. But I don't particularly want that. This is the kind of person Saul was. He didn't really have time for religion as such. So we meet him in verses 1 and 2 in chapter 9. It says, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, and the son of Abia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. We meet this guy. His father's name, Kish. He's a mighty man of power, which means he was very wealthy. It means he was extremely wealthy. He was a wealthy man. Saul came from a very wealthy family. Although he was notable, but not only for his family's wealth, Samuel writes that how good-looking he was. He's better looking and handsome than anybody else in Israel. Wow. That's what Samuel says. He was taller than any of his people and good-looking. In fact, there was not one more handsome person in all of Israel. He looked like a great king. This would make a great king. So if him being king over Israel was all about image and appearances, Saul's the man. He's the man. A lot of time, this is how we judge people. We judge them on their appearance. We think that people who are handsome, good-looking, right away, we believe them to be intelligent. We believe them to be something special because God had made them beautiful. They've made them easy to look at. This is how the world views humanity. If the world didn't view humanity this way, why are there so many commercials on TV to tell us how to become good-looking? Why are there so many things on TV telling us that we, how we need to lose weight and how we need to do this and how we need to do that? Why are there so many things like that? God doesn't see us that way. There's no partiality with God. He doesn't like one person more than the next. The scripture I believe in is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not that God just so loved the few, he loved the world. God looks upon the heart of a person, as we said. He can see right into the heart. God looks in the heart of the person, and he knows the person's heart. Once again, Jeremiah, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Well, God knows it. God knows that he sees in that heart. The people of Israel had just rejected the Lord God as king over Israel because they wanted a king like the other nations. And one commentator says this, quote, what they really wanted was the image of a king. Because God gave them the substance of a king better than any man could. Saul was exactly the type of king that the people wanted. He was the king from central casting, unquote. (laughs) What's interesting is that Saul's name means asked of God. And he was indeed asked of God to be Israel's king. And when you look at these two verses, tell me what's not mentioned. I've already said it. What's not mentioned, or better what, who is not mentioned in these first two verses? God. 
God's not mentioned in these first two verses. Saul was wealthy, influential, he was good-looking, but there's nothing said about his relationship with the Lord God of Israel. When you look about Samuel, we hear Samuel was a man of God who followed after God. See, you equate Samuel with following after God. You equate him with being God's person, God's chosen one. Saul, you equate with money. You equate with wealth. You don't, you don't equate him with, with God. There's nothing to say because there was nothing there. There's nothing there. There's no spirituality. Saul then reflects the spiritual state of the entire nation of Israel. This is the perfect, 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 perfect king for them. Because at this time, Israel didn't have much spirituality either. So he's going to give them what they asked for. God gives nations the leaders they deserve. Israel deserved a man who didn't think about God because Israel wasn't thinking about God. So why should they get it? They rejected God. There may have been some spiritual presence somewhere, but their heart was very, very far from God, and they wanted it to be. God is giving Israel the kind of leaders they wanted and the kind that they deserved. So something crazy happens in verses 3 and 4. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise and go look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalashisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Salim, and they were not there. And they passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. Saul goes out searching for dad's missing donkeys ending up in between Samuel and Saul. The donkeys were a valuable commodity and were the measure of one's wealth. You have to admire Saul's love for his dad. You have to admire his obedience to his dad, going out and spending all this time looking for these animals with great passions. But I love what it says in verse 4. Three times, did not find them. They were not there. Did not find them. This must have been very frustrating for Saul. And yet... God was working out his plan through the lost donkeys in a way that Saul could never even imagine. That's why I named the message, while I was looking for donkeys, I found a crown. God works all things together for good, and he uses the strangest things to get his will done in our lives. It's interesting that he does these things. These donkeys could have gone anywhere, but guess what? They were exactly where God wanted them. They were exactly where God had wanted them. We're going to find out that they indeed are home, back with their master. Why? Because the donkeys submitted to God. The donkeys did exactly what God had told them to do. You know, we call them dumb animals, but they were smart enough to submit to God. Hope we were that smart. God was guiding him. Sometimes we don't realize that God is guiding us too. Sometimes we go through circumstances that we say, this can't be from God. God cannot be in this. Well, it might not be from God, but I surely tell you that God is in it. God is in the midst of it with you. God is in the midst of it with you. God has a plan and a purpose for you right where you're at. If you should submit to God and get with his plan and serve him only and follow him and seek him, his plan will be revealed to you little by little, step by step. He doesn't reveal the entire plan to you. All he has Saul doing is looking for donkeys that were lost. That's the plan. 
donkeys are missing. I'm going to go look for them. God's working this all out. We need to follow God one step at a time. We can't choose to skip a step or not take a step. We need to follow him one step at a time. It's God's plan, not ours. He's the leader. And although this event seems quite insignificant, I see the providential hand of God. I see God's providential hand in it. God is setting up this meeting. There are no consequences in in our lives. God sets these things up. God sets up this meeting. Look at how God opens one of the most important chapters in Israel's history. A king will be led to the throne by three lost donkeys. Think about it. God has a way of using donkeys, doesn't he? He talks to donkeys all the time. And who knows, he might be talking through one right now. I don't know. I have no idea. We have no idea how God will use the things that we think are normal, the things that even may annoy us, and the circumstances of life to get across his will. We have no idea. God wanted to use this situation to guide Saul, and God will often use our situations and circumstances in the same way. We need to trust in his goodness. We need to trust in his ability to make all things work together for good, because that's what it says in Romans 8, 28. You either believe it all, or you don't believe any of it. God works all things together for good. We don't know the end result, but God does. We don't know what's going to happen down the pike or here or there, but God does. We have to believe that. We have to believe that. In verse 5, I love the care that Saul has for his dad's feelings. Look at verse 5. When they had come up to the land of Zuph, Paul said to a servant who was with him, Come. Let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. I like that. He really had a true love for his father. He had a true, true love for his father and didn't want to see his father unnecessarily worry about where he was, traveling all over the entire nation of Israel looking for three lost donkeys. Pretty interesting. Let's read 6 through 14. Pick up some steam here. And he said to them, look now. There is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring to the man? For the bread in our vessels is gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have at hand one-fourth a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, a man went to inquire of God. He spoke thus, come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. Then Saul said to his servant, well said, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw the water and said to them, is the seer there? And they answered them and said, yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to the city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore go up for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city and as they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. So servant has a great idea. Let's go to the man of God. I should have had a V8. 
They wandered all over the nation looking for their donkeys when five miles away was the man of God. What do we glean from this? Sometimes God will let us wander. Sometimes God will let us wander until we come to the conclusion, God, how come I'm not asking him for advice? God will let you wander through your difficulties, wander through your tragedies, wander through your pain, wander through your suffering, wander all around with everything that's happening until you finally come to the conclusion, you know what? I should ask God. What a concept. Yeah. But once you ask, guess what? He's there. He's there. He's there. The suggestion of Saul's servant shows that something about these two men. Now, the men weren't much spiritual character. They seemed to be men who didn't think to come to the prophet for the real spiritual guidance, but to think, hey, maybe he can help us find the donkeys. They didn't want to go and inquire about God. They were more interested in going to inquire about the donkeys who were lost. But out of respect for the prophet Samuel, Saul did not want to approach him empty-handed. When consulting a prophet, it was common courtesy to bring a gift. You can read about that in the prophet Amos 7.12. It was custom that you brought a gift to the prophet. Hurry now, for today he came into the city. In other words, it just happened that Samuel was here. Really? It just happened? Remember when we were studying the book of Ruth? Ruth without gleaning in the field, and it just so happened that Boaz came by that day. Yeah. If you're not seeing the providential hand of God in here, you're not getting the picture of what's going on here. Saul and his servant came looking for the donkeys on the same day that Samuel was in town. Mm-hmm. See, God's hand is on Everything here. Everything. Josephus writes this, that the Jewish legend says it was because Saul was so good-looking that the young woman talked to him. It was taboo for these young women to talk to strange men. It was taboo for them to entertain strange men and talk to them. But because of Saul's appearance, they were drawn to him and they talked to him. Usually in this culture, they didn't speak to strangers, especially men. Look at verses 15 and 16. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow at this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because of their cry has come to me. God has everything under control. God told Samuel, he's coming. I got him here. He's going to be here, and you're going to meet him. He had prepared Samuel for Saul's visit. Saul has no relationship with the Lord that we can see of. All he can do is speak about the lost donkeys. But Samuel knows and loves the Lord, so the Lord can speak to Samuel in his ear. And it's neat. The way it's phrased here, it actually means that the pulling back of the turban to speak in his ear. Because, you know, they wore those those turban things. The Lord told Samuel in his ear, literally, it uncovered his ear. The phrase is taken from pushing aside the headdress in order to whisper. And therefore it means that Jehovah had secretly told Samuel. We don't know if this was audible or not, but Samuel knew. Tomorrow is the time. God gave this prophet Samuel the very specific regarding future events. You are Although our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's Word. Feel free to read ahead in the book of 1 Samuel and find more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. All of Pastor Dave's messages are available to download for free. 
You can even subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. Find links at our website. Again, that's assurehoperadio.com. Well, we'd like to invite you to join us in person for church at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Right now, we're following the Lord's guidance and remaining closed. However, we are still holding services online. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 on Facebook and YouTube. Just follow the links you'll find at assurehoperadio.com. We're also streaming our Wednesday service at 7 p.m., along with Bible study and devotionals each week. It's important to stay connected to church community during this time, so we hope you'll join us. Is there anything we could be praying about for you? Please let us know. Call us at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. Would you pray for us too? Please keep Pastor Dave and all of us at Calvary Chapel Cape May in your prayers, that we'll be wise in our decisions, and that we'll stay in tune with the desires of Christ. Thanks for praying, and thanks for tuning in today. Join us next time to continue learning from the book of 1 Samuel, right here on A Sure Hope.